Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us for our weekly roundup of the news that's gone on this week, which, of course, we all want to regurgitate. Uh, John Bennett, former, or no, current editor at, at CQ Roll Call, <laughs> and former federal prosecutor, Michael Zeldin. And we're here this week. We're going to unpack uh, two big things. Uh, President Biden's uh, latest trip to Lithuania, a lot of stuff going on with that. And unpacking the week in Trump world, and uh, <laughs> Michael's going to lead us through all the 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 filings, all the cross filings, and all the uh, latest and potential indictments for Donald Trump. We'll take a look at the wonderful Ron DeSantis. Is the press doing its job in covering all this nonsense? And of course, we have your letters. So stick around. We will be right back with just ask the question. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It's Just Ask the Question. It's our weekly roundup where we just ask the press. And uh, joining us now is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and former current editor at CQ Roll Call at large, John Bennett. And we're going to start out with um, the Biden trip to Lithuania for NATO and for the G7. And a, a lot of stuff happened during that trip. One of the things, I, if you've caught the... Um, the speech he made at the end, it was before 10,000 people at a university. There were chants of USA, USA. Uh, Joe Biden seemed to be getting a warmer reception overseas than he's gotten recently at home. But one of the things that he talked about that I think we want to start out with is what he called the single greatest existential threat to humanity. Now, he was there and he was talking about the war in Ukraine and potential defense. But what he singled out as the greatest existential threat to humanity was climate change. And that comes on the heels of a massive heat wave across the U.S., devastating floods and massive heat waves across Europe. As scientists say, uh, the El Nino effect and uh, climate change has increased temperatures even faster than we thought on the planet and they're panicking like crazy. So let's open this up. Uh, uh, John, were you surprised that that was part of the speech? I mean, it was buried at the end. It looked like it was added on because of what happened worldwide. But for a president to say, look, we have a closing window and this is the single greatest threat to humanity. Correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't heard that before coming from a president. No, we heard We've heard similar things from uh, President Obama, both while he was in office and, and of course, since he's uh, been a little freer, so to speak, post-presidency. Uh, but we haven't really heard, we haven't heard it like this from Joe Biden, really. And that's because in 2020, he needed independents and gettable anti-Trump Republicans to win the presidency. So um, while some of the legislation that he's pushed, executive orders, he signed uh, things uh, his federal agencies have done have certainly been progressive on climate change. Uh, we haven't heard the president use the words like he did. Um, and he, you know, he was also talking to a European audience largely that is far more receptive as a whole to the climate change argument and the threats of climate change. Uh, back here, um, you know, it's, it's Democrats, especially progressives. And then, um, 
the the view of climate change starts to it's on a downward slope and, right. and when you get to the end of it on the far right they don't even believe it's it's a it, it, it they think it's just a normal thing that the planet is always changing and this is just part of that change that you know wiped out the dinosaurs and everybody else except the cockroaches and now it's maybe our turn so so are you uh, saying the gop are cockroaches <laughs> no i did not say that no, i did not say that i don't believe that uh because politics is kind of cyclical or yeah. it's ever changing I'm just too, kidding. So. yeah so no we haven't heard it from joe biden but i think he felt comfortable saying it i think it was a way uh to send a signal to the european allies um and i think it was it was a preview of some of, of what we might see in a second term especially if there are are things that he and his uh his lawyers uh conclude that he could do as president because we don't think the democrats are going to control both chambers in a potential biden second term and certainly not in numbers to pass climate change legislation uh, especially to get it out of the senate uh they face a big uphill battle uh to keep the senate and really to you know, I don't think Republicans aren't going to get the 60 votes if they take the majority, but um, they could get in. They're going to get into the upper 50s. So, um, you know, but if, if there's stuff he could do with executive action, executive orders, executive memoranda on climate change, I would expect to see that in a second term. So, um, you know, it, it made a little more sense to me the next day. You know, he said that he thinks Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, has already lost the war in Ukraine. Oh, we'll get to that. Uh, Hold on. Yeah, and, and weakened, and he doesn't think Putin will use nuclear weapons. So if you're Biden and you have that assessment of Russia as a threat, uh, he, he talks about some of the challenges China has internally, then it makes sense. And he doesn't talk a lot about al-Qaeda or ISIS. No. So, you know, when you when I, when I heard him um, when I heard him on Thursday talk about Russia and and his more recent comments about China, it, it makes sense to me uh, that he would say this. And and he does have to talk to his base to get reelected here. It can't just be talking to independents and gettable anti-Trump Republicans. He's got to jack up that base turnout. So it, it when you put all that together, it does make sense. All right. So that let me ask you, Michael. Was was it surprising to you when you heard that? Was it you know, he's he's talking about the single greatest existential threat to humanity, not to the U.S., not to the Internet, but to humanity. Was that surprising to you? It was welcomed. I don't know <clears throat> if that forum was the place where I would have expected it. But with all that been going on and we've been talking about it on this show off and on, we really are at a tipping point or perhaps even just beyond the tipping point of um, the security of our planet from climate um, devastation. And it's time that people started listening to what Al Gore has been saying for 20 years, because that's where we are. And yeah. there's just no two ways about it. And so, yeah, sometimes you have to just say it out loud, directly, um, in order to get people's attention. And they'll be the climate deniers and the normal cycles of law of, of the earth. But, you know, ask the dinosaurs how well that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're back to the GOP. One of the other things that was, was spoken about in that speech and one of the things that happened while he was away. Now, the pundits have labeled this as a win for, for Biden, that he had immense success. He was able to, to get... Uh, Turkey on board for Sweden. He was able to deflect Ukraine, uh, expecting that they would get in, uh, you know, on a fast track. But you alluded to something earlier, uh, John, that I, I think is uh, he, he said Russia has already lost the war. Now, I get where he's going existentially with that, because he's saying that uh, Russia thought it would be a quick and easy war that they would get in and out. And they so in that regards, tying them up. But to say that it's a victory uh, that or that Russia has lost, that comes across to some as a little callous. It came over to me as a little callous. And I'm like you, 
I understand what he means. And and you laid it out perfectly and succinctly there that 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 Putin thought he would get in there and capture all or at least the Russian speaking parts of Ukraine fairly quickly. The Ukrainian military, you know, not very well armed, not very sophisticated or professional. I don't I don't want to, of course, insult them because they're fighting for their survival and they're by but they means, are not as well yeah. trained as many right. other. They're not as well trained yeah. and not as well equipped. We we've helped them with with both those things, but yeah, Putin thought he it would be uh, relatively quickly. So I get what Biden's saying, and you know, Putin's military is not ever going to be the same after this. Uh, it's already hurt his economy with all the sanctions. So I get what the president was saying, but at the same time, you know, sorry, Mr. President, why don't you tell that to a Ukrainian mother? whose son uh, or, or grandson died later that day fighting on the front lines. Uh, so I, I think it does fall a little flat. Uh, but, you know, this Joe Biden has a history of saying things like this, and they just land. They just don't land right. And, and sometimes, a lot of times with he and his administration, I think there's a tone deafness and... Um, just just not sounding the right notes they're just it's just it's not pitch perfect it's not sometimes it's not even close and i i thought this one was you know if he had explained it a little and said it differently i think it would have been fine but uh it certainly did sound a bit uh callous while at the same time acknowledging throughout the trip that ukrainians are still fighting and dying in in you know in pretty big numbers now and one of the things that we've seen michael is that there are people that are plenty upset with with uh <laughs> with the president coming out of of uh the lithuanian thing and i mean you've got rfk jr screaming that we should uh get out of ukraine there's others saying let let uh, russia have part of ukraine and so some of that falls on deaf ears here and it's not heard uh that argument those things are are more international in scope but one thing you pointed out that i like is that um, we? I go back to James Carville. It's the economy, stupid. With the with the news that came out this week about uh, inflation down, numbers, job numbers still up, and the fact that you know we may not have a recession like many Republicans were predicting, uh, it is still, isn't it, Michael? About it's the economy, stupid. Well. History tells us that American voters tend to be more focused on domestic issues than international issues, save, of course, for things like Vietnam and World War One and, and the like. But in, in Don't forget that time, other world war. <laughs> well, they were pretty um, consensed around it. World yeah. War One and, and Vietnam had a lot of dissension. Um, world War Two, a little bit less so, I think. But um, in, in any event the um, domestic issues tend to be more important, the pocketbook issues, to voters. And what we're seeing at the moment is inflation at about 3% down from 9 um, Prices stabilizing in some key sectors. And if there wasn't price gouging, those prices would probably be falling even faster. Unemployment Numbers are very low, and the predictions are that we are in for what they call a soft landing, no no, um, no uh, remarkable recession. And so if you're the president who is in charge during those times, that's what it seems to me you should be running on first and foremost. Do you think that that's a lack of education on on the part of the administration or inadequate reporting on the part of the media? Well, I think it's they don't want to sort of be George W. Bush and announce that on the on the battleship, you know, mission accomplished. <laughs> it's still a it's still a and your listening audience can look that up. Yeah. The. Um, <laughs> the it's still to be determined, but it's trending that way. And so I think that they want to be careful and wait a little bit longer to make sure, um, you know, into the summer, maybe the fall, they, they say the Fed may raise interest rates one or two more times, you know, 0.25%, and then B 
begin to lower interest rates. So they've got time, I think, to make this argument. And I think that they want to do it at the right time. But I do think if things trend in their favor, as it seems it is, that would be a potent message for a re-election campaign. What do you want to hear more of? You're a voter. What do you want? What do you want to hear going into the election season? I want to hear less. <laughs> I'm so tired of, of listening uh, altogether. You know, you heard it, America. <laughs> hey, everybody, shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut up and dribble, or shut up and yeah, dance. shut up and shoot. God damn it. <laughs> Throw the well, pass. So we got the obligatory sports in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there are big issues that we face uh, as a country. Uh, climate change is one. This whole rise of white nationalism and anti. It, you can, DeSantis will call it anti wokeism, but really it's anti liberalism and not in a liberal conservative, but in the tradition of of American democracy of yeah. of tolerance. I mean, the, we're in a very intolerant environment and people are um, taking advantage of that politically. I'd like to hear people address that more directly to show what a danger that point of view is to the well-being of our um, the fabric of our of our community. John, what do you think? Are we reporting on this correctly? Is at the end of the day, is the press doing a decent job? At I mean, you have some of us saying, "Look, Biden came back triumphant, got more than he wanted, and could hope for in Europe," and everyone's looking at it as a a, a great trip. Meanwhile, you, you know, there the economic news is is good for the U.S. We don't hear as much about that, and then we have Donald Trump that we hear way too much of, and as Michael said. You know, I'll, I'll 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 paraphrase you. I just want him to shut the fuck up. But anyway, <laughs> before we cut to this break, where do you think put, put a bow on it for me? Well, you know, it's hard for me to uh, say the media isn't covering Biden's message. Uh, you know, we write about it and cover it every day. Now, it doesn't get you know when he goes to give an economic speech it's not going to get the same kind of coverage that that when Donald Trump ostensibly went to give an economic speech and then did you know he did he did 13 minutes on the economy and and an hour and 10 minutes calling people names and making allegations and doing his witch hunt spiel that's going to get more coverage because that was unprecedented we'd never seen a president do that before and Biden when when he talks about his record he pretty much stays on message and, you know, we're humans. How many times can you write that story? Right. Um, and, you know, editors, we we do have business motivations these days. I've no. said here, I've said here and elsewhere that it makes us uncomfortable to talk about, but we should be more honest about it. Um, you know, if that story, if, if Biden gives a speech on Monday um, outside of Washington and Springfield about about the infrastructure act and the and you write two stories out of it and doesn't perform and then he flies to Pennsylvania and gives a very similar speech on Thursday well can we do something else can we do something more interesting can we do something that might click a little better or or, or maybe you know and that's a business thing and and that's changed in the last 10 or 15 years so you know it, it's also hard for me to say that we're not covering it when I am convinced if it was not for the Washington press corps, especially the, 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 the white house press corps and the congressional press corps asking about what was once known as build the build back better plan right. every day, even after everyone said it was dead, the media is as responsible for, for that. What, what became BBB BBB light passing as anybody else. And I have to assume a lot of reporters thought it was a good idea. So they kept asking, kept asking, kept asking. That did create some pressure and a, a slimmed down version of that got done. So it's hard for me to say that that we haven't covered it when, you know, I, I think we played a pretty big role in that in that bill becoming law. 
And on that note, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to unpack the Donald Trump world. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q podcast. That's J-A-T-Q podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, with us, as usual, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. And uh, yes, and, and and John, I'll let you know there have been several letters thanking you for, for your words on Congress, that they actually have learned something about Congress by listening to the podcast. Can you believe it? No, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> And it goes without saying, Michael, I get several, you know, we get letters each week asking you, uh, uh, asking for your advice on federal prosecution. And I know there are several of us that listen to it and to, to what you have to say with bated breath. So I'm going to let you unpack what happened. The DOJ responds to Donald Trump's attempt to a delay in the documents case. The word frivolous was used, I believe. Near for nearly frivolous, nearly frivolous. So this was a big week for legal stories. The what that story, which you're first referring to, is special counsel Jack Smith in a court filing of 11 pages <clears throat> responded to an earlier Donald Trump court filing in which the court was asked to indefinitely postpone the Mar-a-Lago documents case for several reasons, one complicated case, two, Trump can't focus on this case while running for president, three, (laughs) you can't get a a fair jury during an election season. Um, And Jack Smith pushed hard against all of those, saying it's not a very complicated case. We can get this to trial on December 11th. The Speedy Trial Act requires us to, to bring this to trial. And by the way, if we can't get a fair jury during a election cycle, how can you get one post election, especially if you've won? You know, so, <laughs> so, so that that's now uh, on the doorstep of Judge Cannon, and it is the acid test, I think, to date of how she is going to run this case. If she grants Jack Smith's request that the speedy trial go forward as the statute requires, then good for her. And people will take a, a breath of you know relief that there's a judge that's going to play it by the book. If she delays this thing indefinitely or for from lengthy period of time, uh, she'll just reinforce her reputation as being a pro-judge political, pro-Trump political judge uh, who's going to try to help him uh, politically, uh, irrespective of what the law requires? So that's any, any indication that's, how she's yet as no, to how she'll rule? No, I mean I think that it should be a slam dunk in favor of the the Jack Smith uh, request. Indefinite continuances are essentially unheard of. But and do we'll they see. have a recourse if she does? Can they appeal that decision? I'm not sure. Is the is the answer to that? I know that if she rules in respect of classified documents one way or the other pre-trial, that's immediately appealable. But the question of whether she, how she runs her calendar and whether a case will be tried in December or January or February, I'm not certain that that's a, an appealable, immediately appealable issue. And then uh, besides that, we had new filings in the Trump case. We had lots of lots of things. Yeah, let's go over some of those and including Arizona escalating its probe. Uh, Jared Kushner was questioned. There's a grand jury seated in Atlanta. 
and the Westfall Act and the Carroll case. Start wherever you want because there's a lot there. And and John, jump in when you want. Okay, so uh, in no particular order, meaning not order of importance, the Trump legal team has asked that the Georgia, the Georgia courts to shut down the investigation by Fannie Willis, arguing that she's uh, political and this was a political investigation and that the investigative grand jury, which took all the evidence, did so improperly. And therefore, the new grand jury, that which can be an indicting grand jury, should be shut down. It seems to me very thin uh, as a legal uh, matter, but they filed that nonetheless, asking the Georgia court to shut down this in investigation. Back to Mar-a-Lago and federal cases, um, there's been reporting well, that- Well, William, before we go to Mar-a-Lago, is that particular request, uh, is that does it have a chance in hell of, of passing or, or being implemented? Again, I can only ask, answer questions like that in terms of should it? And the answer yeah. is it it should not. Yeah. It should not prevail. It it should not prevail, but I don't know whether it will or not. I can just tell you that the law doesn't favor that uh, outcome. The law favors this case going forward, and the 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 indicting grand jury um, be permitted to indict if it chooses to, and the case should go to trial unless there's a. And there's no reason to assume that just because Donald Trump is Donald Trump, he's going to get his way on this. I know that's the big fear is that, you know, Donald Trump seems to get his way against the rule of law because he's Donald Trump. But well, that's I, not been proven to be the case. Thank you. Yeah. In 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 all of the litigation around the election, for example, the 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 the, the scores of cases filed, Trump didn't win any of them. Uh, on the substance of of the matter, he lost he lost them all. He also lost on his uh, petitions to the Supreme Court to intervene in cases. So even by his own appointed judges at the local level, you know the the the, the trial court level, right. the court of appeals level, and at the Supreme Court level. So he may be a he may appear to be above the law and all that in respect of being charged, but and getting away with things, but. When it comes to the courts, he has been treated pretty much like everybody else, in my view. And so, John, so keep going. Yeah, but but wait a minute before you get there, John. When we talk about this, that's one of the things that people say all the time: is that Donald Trump seems to get away with shit that nobody else does. But as Michael pointed out, that's not necessarily the case. So again, does that fall back on us not doing our job, or people not listening when we say what's going on? <laughs> I mean, this is Donald Trump, and he's got this hold on his supporters and, and most Republicans. Um, the media is reporting that the, reporting the hell out of all this. Um, I can't remember a time when I saw so many headlines about court motions. Um, you know, at, I, I admittedly, uh, I had other things I was covering and writing about and, and, and getting ready for some uh, time off and 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 other things i tuned it out this week <laughs> uh, I, I, I was just gonna let michael explain it to me as he just did and i and i think we all appreciate that um you know this is exactly what i expected trump to do uh larry brown legendary basketball coach here comes more sports um you know he would always use his timeouts every timeout if if the game was you know inside of 20 with eight minutes to go and he would try to extend the game, maybe and that's slide. What Trump's a, doing. Yeah, maybe slide a, uh, 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 shall we say, goon forward into the game. Use all six of those fouls, big fella. If they, yeah. if they, if, you know, if they make two thirds of the free throws, and we're hitting threes, we got Reggie Miller. You know, we're bombing threes. We can get back in this game. So that's what Trump's going to try to do. He's going to use his timeouts. He's going to use all of his fouls. He, he's going to do all that. And he wants to kick this until after the election. That's the goal here. Um, now, whether he, I don't, I don't, I suspect he will not succeed at kicking uh, any of these trials until after the election. If, you know, if they're all charged in the next few months. So 
So that brings I, us up to the next one, Michael. Right. Let's, what, what else? Let, go with go with the next. Well, so the next one is that prosecutors have sent a target letter, which means you're likely to be indicted, um, to a what they the New York Times calls a low level worker for uh, uh, at Donald Trump's company, suggesting the possibility that they may have lied about the taping of the surveillance footage in the uh, Mar-a-Lago, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Mar-a-Lago complex. So remember, they, um, <clears throat> sorry, they uh, asked for the, the surveillance tapes and people, you know, hemmed and hawed a little bit about it and finally they were able to get it now it seems as if one of these employees has received a target letter uh, accusing them of perhaps doctoring the tapes but more likely uh, lying about the 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 tapes so here you have more mar-a-lago mar-a-lago related stuff um that the prosecutors are running hard at. And so that case, though indicted, is still under active investigation and more evidence is still being um, gathered about it. So that's, and that's sort of unusual. So um, Does why- Does that mean you, do you think there'll be additional <laughs> charges against Donald? Well, that that's the, the, uh, that's the question, which is, are they doing this just to firm up the evidence that they that they have that they want to present in this current trial, or are they thinking about either a superseding indictment, which means indictment that adds additional charges to the current charges, or a new indictment altogether against additional uh, people, not necessarily Trump, but it could be you know this this staffer or or others who have been uh, accused of perhaps lying or or deflecting. Well, you tell me because you know Jack Smith better than I do, but it seems to me like this is not, does not portend well for Donald Trump. That it indeed means that the investigation is A, ongoing, and B, there may be either a superseding indictment or an additional indictment or indictments against others in his circle from this particular investigation, which is ongoing. Yes? Maybe. Because again, you're, you're, you're saying, you're reading tea leaves and you're and you're reaching a conclusion that that this is this is bad for trump i don't know if it's bad for trump or others connected to trump it's i suppose it's bad in that you have a prosecutor who's still looking at activity surrounding the illegal retention of documents and the obstructing of that investigation so if they're still investigating it and you're under indictment for that, it's not good. But whether it portends new charges against Donald Trump or just is just guesswork. Or gathering just gathering additional evidence or new charges against others connected to Donald Trump, I just don't know the answer to, Brian. Now you uh, you had additional <clears throat> stuff that happened this week. Let's go on with the next. Yeah, we'll be here all day. So <laughs> there there it's, it's been a long week for the Donald. He didn't get a Lithuanian. Uh, 10,000 people cheering him, but go ahead. (laughs) What happened next was reporting that Jared Kushner and others have testified before the January 6th grand jury in Washington, D.C., and they're asking questions about whether or not Donald Trump knew or what he was told about his loss of the election. So they asked Jared Kushner, for example, it's been reported, did Donald Trump know that he lost this election? Kushner testified, again, as reported in the newspapers, that he believed his father-in-law actually believed he won. Uh, But that's contrary, of course, to many, many others who have testified uh, that there were words out of Donald Trump's mouth that said, can you believe I lost to this guy, Biden? And then there are many, many others in his campaign apparatus and then hired by Trump post-election 
uh, to investigate this, all of whom told him he lost. And so Jared Kushner saying, I believe my father-in-law believed this. You know, it's sort of like the mom testifying at the trial of her son saying, my son is a good boy. He never would have, you know, done done these things. Thank you, mom. It's I'm glad you feel that way about your son. It's heartwarming. But ladies and gentlemen of the jury, it's his mom, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so you've got this, it's Jared Kushner. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, you expect, you know, courage? Courage, mom. <laughs> or, or, or truthfulness, you know, I don't know. No, you're not. Now, so anyway, so that's, but the, but the importance of the story is not what did Jared Kushner believe his father-in-law believed, but rather that the special prosecutor is asking questions about Donald Trump's state of mind, what he knew uh, to be the case. Because if it's establishable that he actually knew he lost this election, but then perpetrated this scheme, the big lie, uh, in order to undo that, that's fraud. That is so. He's much... either nuts or he's engaged in a fraud. <laughs> well, <laughs> the the point of the prosecutor, yeah. He, I mean, he can he can he can he can uh, plead not guilty by reason of insanity. But <laughs> the reality is that what they're trying to say is when you know by objective uh, evidence that you lost an election and then you go about a scheme to prevent the orderly transfer of power and to raise money um, to fight this, that is acquiring by false, chance, by false pretenses of fraud and uh, interfering with the orderly transition of power is a, a conspiracy to defraud or actions to defraud the United States government. So those are important investigative steps that Smith is undertaking. Now, before we get to the rest of it, John, you covered this white, the Trump White House. I cover the Trump White House. You think he's nuts or you think he's a criminal? <laughs> you think he believes he actually won? Maybe that's the best way to put it. <laughs> I think... Um... I think the way Alyssa Farah put it before the January 6th committee, while it sounds very lawyerly and, and it, you know, I'm sure she rehearsed with her lawyers, you know, umpteen times before she went into the hearing room. She said that Trump said those words to her. And then when pressed by the Jan 6th committee members, she said, yes, at that moment, I think he believed he lost. At that moment is the is the operative phrase there. I think Trump is capable of going in and out of different beliefs. I think it depends on who his audience is, um, who he's talking to. If he's at a rally, then it was stolen. If he's talking to the, you know, the handful of people at the moment that he thinks he trusts, and he might not trust any of them the next day or, yeah, by, or by the next minute. Time. Yeah, by <laughs> dinner time. So I think, you know, I think he's a bit of an intellectual shapeshifter. And it does it, it really does depend on who his audience is and the setting um, and all of that. Now, he may have meant like this is in like, you know, he 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 wasn't dragged out of the White House. You know, he walked out to Marine One. He walked to Air Force One. He got on the plane. We were all waiting for him to be dragged out. We, we, yes, we were. I, and I may we have that. I may have had a story in a Google Doc, uh, pre-write <laughs> ready to go that he refused to leave. I may. Yeah, or, we, I may. Still we were have all that. wondering if that was going to be the last scene of <laughs> <Right>. the Donald. <laughs> right, and that would have been. Uh, I, that would have been not the Secret Service. I believe that would have been uh, U.S. Marshals who would have been responsible for that. Um, and I may have a pre-write that I look at from time to time. I just think <laughs> how amazing it is that I had to. I had to spend an hour putting that together just in case. Anyway, we all uh, did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So is it is it possible that at times he has allowed himself to believe that he lost to Joe Biden? I absolutely think so. But I think the majority of the times, um, and we've all done this on things. I've done this. Yeah, but I don't think that precludes him from being criminally 
responsible. Oh, no, 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 no. He could have committed crimes. He could have even knowingly committed crimes. Yeah. Um, and still believe that the like a majority of the I think a majority of the time, and maybe he's convinced himself that the election was stolen, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be convicted of multiple crimes. And I still think the most likely scenario is he is convicted of multiple federal crimes and possibly state crimes before the election or right after the election. And uh, you can check during out during the day of I wrote a column on that. You can find it at rollcall.com. Shameless plug. <laughs> So, Michael, uh, unpack the rest of it. We had a grand jury seated in Atlanta, and we need to talk about the, uh, I guess, Arizona escalating its probe and the Carroll case. So, moving right along, (laughs) Arizona has a a Democratic attorney general, and she has announced that she has assigned a group of prosecutors back in, in May uh, to investigate the false electors scheme in their state. So Arizona, like Georgia, I think like Michigan, maybe like Pennsylvania, is undertaking an investigation and they are in the investigative stage to determine whether or not this false electors scheme, the scheme to send to Washington a fake group of electors who are pretending to be real electors who would vote for Trump to get the orderly transition of power uh, disorganized um, is criminal. So they're asking they're asking witnesses to come before what I guess is a state grand jury to answer the question of whether or not they, participated in a fraud. So it's it really is, for the listening audience, a mirror of what happened in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Prosecutors in those states can't really allow a scheme by which people certified that they were actual electors to go uninvestigated when everyone knows now they that they were not. Yeah. So- you know, good for the rule of law that this fraud scheme is being investigated, whether it amounts to a criminal charge against the false electors, whether it's part of a broader conspiracy uh, to obstruct that includes other people located in or formerly located in Washington remains to be seen. But what we know from the facts that as have been reported is that another state is looking at its false electors uh, scheme. And finally, the Westfall Act and the Carroll case. What's the importance of that and what does it and what is it? So E. Jean Carroll, the woman who won the verdict against Donald Trump, um, where he was found guilty of sexual assault, has sued again uh, based on new statements he's made. And the Westfold Act is a, a act which says that if you do something in the course of your job as a federal employee, if you get sued, the federal government will step in and defend you. So if in the in the course of your responsibilities, you do something, And someone says, well, damn it, I'm going to sue that guy. And they do. If it's in the course of your responsibilities as a government employee, the government steps in, absolves you of having to defend the case. And if, in fact, you lose, the government pays the the fine. So in the E. Jean Carroll case, Donald Trump said that his statements about her were undertaken in the course of his official duties. And the Justice Department had been considering uh, whether or not uh, to, def- to to accept that representation. In fact, they initially did right. uh, accept the representation that, that what Trump said was somehow in the course of his official duties. But as the case proceeded, and as Trump continued to make additional statements and sue her sued her for defamation 
by her having called him a rapist when he was found not guilty of rape, but only sexual assault, the Justice Department said, you know what? This is not official activity on behalf of We're out. <laughs> we're out. Essentially, we're out. Um, yeah. you're, on, you're on your own. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw that line once in, in a movie. Son, you're on your own. Yeah. Blazing saddles. Anyway, so <laughs> and so so it, it's it it means that if um she prevails, if G E. Jean Carroll prevails, or as she progresses with this lawsuit, Donald Trump has to defend himself. And if he loses, he's gonna have to pay himself. Again. Yeah. So those so those are the one, two, three, four, five, six things that happened in the last two days or three days. Yeah, so those so six, tune in next week when yeah, we have more to report. For the for the <laughs> so, sorry, listening audience, to have so little news to report, we'll try to do better <laughs> next time. Right. We'll do our damnedest. And you didn't even get a Bob Dylan tune in there. That's yeah, that's yeah. I'm I'm disappointed. But but John, we're gonna let you have and we could have I was waiting for this even the president must stand naked, but well, we, we didn't we, get it. You know, well we could we could say we could say about all of the conversation that we're having is Dylan's line. The pump don't work because the vandals took the handles. <laughs> there you go. So before our handles turn, <laughs> before the handles are held by the vandals, John, before we take off the break, I'll let you wrap this up with uh, I, this question. All the things that Michael just outlined, we all think that Donald Trump is living in fear of, of, of retribution. What do you think this news did to him this week? Well, I think he's clearly agitated. I think you see that in um, agitated, frustrated, and um, I'm, of course, blanking on on who it was. I saw an interview with a, someone who was Trump's friend for, for a long time in New York City. And, oh, I'm sorry, it was Chris Christie who told him that, that Trump told him, uh, and they've known each other for longer than even Christie was governor. So... Uh, Trump always told him, you know, you, you're throwing all these guys in, in prison. I think it's great, but I can never do that. I can never go to jail. And Christie says, and he knows the man personally, I've only covered him, um, that that he surmises Trump is scared to death and thinks that he's likely going to be convicted um, and, and maybe face jail time if he can't pardon himself. So, you know, th that's a little closer to Trump than I am. Chris Christie's been in that world uh, multiple times. So I, I think that that we can we can take that as as pretty close and we, we can hear him. Um, he seems tired. He, he doesn't seem to be as um, as energetic. I mean, to, to borrow a phrase from the Donald, he seems a little low energy at times in some of these rallies and public appearances and interviews. And he doesn't he doesn't seem to have that sharpness. He rambles and his truth social posts. I mean, they're all in all caps now. And, you know, I'm sure you were told Brian back in the day that uh, when he was tweeting as president, when you saw the all caps, you knew the staff was having a really bad day yeah. because <laughs> the boss was throwing things and cursing and changing his mind every 15 seconds and, you know, doodling nicknames for political opponents during intelligence briefings. So I think we're at, I think we're at that point again, where his small staff and his campaign staff, they're probably having some rough days right now. I think I, I'll end it with this. I think if it weren't for his pride, because he wouldn't want to do this, but if I think he is a batshit nuts uh, and criminally batshit nuts, I would almost see him pulling a, a as a defense for everything that, you know, a temporary insanity, except he wants the money and he couldn't take the hit to his pride. I think, but I, yeah. at, the, at yeah. the end of the day, I think he's absolutely scared shitless. Yeah, I think he's looking again for the protections of the office of the presidency and his ego is driving him to run. Um, again, I, I don't want to get in the man's head, but I have observed him since 2015. And I've wondered this time, and maybe it's early, and Trump himself has said, well, we're not going to do too much campaigning because it is so early and I'm up so much in the primary. Um, I've wondered if his heart is really in this one or, or if he just wants the protections and that's all it is. I, he's and, running and he wants to, to beat Biden. Himself. He wants to be the one that beats Biden. Yeah, he he wants to. I and I don't think he has any desire. Well, he never showed any desire really governing, 
But anyway, that's <laughs> you noticed. Yeah, that's you noticed. Yeah, that's I mean, I never saw it. <laughs> I've been covering him since 2015 myself. I've I've never seen him encouraged enough to actually want to try and run the, the apparatus. He just wants to mouth. But anyway, we'll take a short break and then we'll be back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It's just asked the question. A couple of other quick things to get to, and then we got a, uh, a, some letters that we'll we'll read and uh, try to answer those questions. The last thing that I want to touch upon is Ron DeSantis, who I've always said has the appeal of roadkill, uh, is now a, apparently not a, appealing to Rupert Murdoch. There's reports this week that uh, Rupert soured on DeSantis, therefore throwing back into the the real legitimate possibility that the only potential nominee for the Republicans is a guy who was impeached twice and is facing two uh, felony indictments. So the Republicans must be so proud. But uh, that saying, I guess when we look at with, with DeSantis tanking early, Trump being about the only one left, is there anyone on the horizon in the Republican party that you see as, as an alternative to Donald Trump. Michael, start with you. So George Will has a piece out um, today saying Senator Scott, who his yes. wife is working for, um, and, he, and he acknowledges yes. that at the end of the article, is a person to keep your eye on. That is, the, he, he rejects the notion of inevitability, saying that People tend not to like to be told what's inevitable and sometimes move away from it. And he said he thinks that that may well be the case here. And he's saying, again, you have to take it with a grain of salt because his wife is working for the campaign and he's a definite anti-Trumper, that Senator Scott may be the alternative to an unlikable uh, DeSantis and perhaps unelectable Donald Trump. I don't I don't know much about the guy. I mean, he seems I remember he wrote a book with a with a Democrat. Did he not? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, where he seems like a, a, a decent person, uh, you know, as a as a, at his at his core values, uh, le- at a core values level. I just happen to not agree with almost any policy position that he he takes. But if he's a, a, a person of of um moral values and um, doesn't have all the, the baggage of a DeSantis or a, a Trump, but has all the policies, then maybe he's attractive. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a large white nationalist uh, core to the current Republican base. And uh, Senator Scott doesn't exactly fit that. No, uh, he he doesn't. So I I guess, John, what do you think? Uh, therein lies the problem for Senator uh, Tim Scott. I, uh, I just don't, I just don't see it right now uh, in the Republican Party that that they would elect, um, or they would nominate. Sorry, a black man uh, as their presidential nomination nominee. Now, as vice president to either Trump, DeSantis slash someone like DeSantis. Um, I think is is a lot more um, a, a lot more feasible. And then, you know, four to eight years, uh, if it was Trump, four years to warm up uh, to the idea of a President Scott and, and vi- the vice, pre- vice President Scott being their nominee eventually. I think that that path makes more sense to me. Um, but right now, I, I just don't see it, especially after what we saw in the House this week. 
where the Freedom Caucus and their allies, the very conservative House Republicans, they hijacked what was once considered the, you know, the must pass uh, somewhat, somewhat sacred National Defense Authorization Act. It's passed every year for, I don't know, 63 years. And now it's at risk. And they're, you know, they're going after, you know, it's the DeSantis anti-woke agenda. They're going after stuff like that in the defense policy bill. So I don't see, and and those folks represent a bigger part of the the, the GOP voting. They used to call it the big tent. Um, there's a lot of folks in the tent who who are represented by these Freedom Caucus folks, and they represent the thinking of a lot of uh, Republican voters. So I just don't see it right now. Maybe Nikki Haley, you know, Indian American. Uh, a woman, former governor of a very conservative state, South Carolina. Maybe she's the alternative. Um, it certainly won't be Mike Pence, who is having a very no. hard time on the campaign trail. Um, you know, this is getting a bit uh, uncomfortable at times to watch. So right now, it's Haley. It's it's Haley, I think, and then Scott. You know, Governor Sununu from New Hampshire. Um, he Don't forget who I'm warning against. He didn't get in the race, uh, but no one else really polls high enough to be within uh, in shouting distance, much less spitting distance of of Trump and then DeSantis. So, you know, or I, Joe I, Biden, for that matter. Yeah, I, I mean, I hear you, uh, Mr. Will. Um, but, you know, true motivations. I don't know. I, your wife works for for Senator Scott's campaign. Um I don't know how that column came to be. I don't know the discussions uh, at the Post or his syndication, uh, whoever, I guess he syndicated through the Post. But, you know, I I don't know how those conversations went, but I bet they were interesting with the editors. I'll bet. That brings us to our letters for today. <laughs> um, and we'll start with one for you, John. Uh, <laughs> Amore17 wants to know, Will anyone challenge Kevin McCarthy for speakership in parentheses? Is anybody more stupid that they could elect? Wow. Uh, those are two questions. I'll take the <laughs> first one first. Um, it's too soon. It's too soon uh, to, to, to really predict if uh, anyone will challenge. Well, it, you would have to, you, you would have to first, uh, pass on the floor what's called the motion to vacate the chair, which is, in this case, the chair is the speakership. Now, one member can force a vote to vacate the chair, uh, but then you have to get to, you know, the magic number in the House uh, right. usually is 218. So then you got to get some alternative speaker candidate has to get to 218. Right now, they don't have anyone, the Freedom Caucus and their allies don't have anyone on the conservative side or really anybody else right now who could get to the magic number and become speaker so but that doesn't mean they won't try eventually i mean they just hijacked the defense who the hell could they get well that's that's that is the problem so you know who would want it who would from their from their perspective right now you know punch bowl a couple days this week their morning newsletter headline was you know mccarthy gives in to to conservatives on defense policy bill so they're from their perspective, they're getting they're getting about everything that they're demanding from McCarthy right now, even if it's not going to become law. They don't care. They didn't come here to govern. They came here to make points and fight the culture wars. And that's what they're doing. And McCarthy is giving them their amendments and, and, and their process demands. Um, but but if McCarthy strikes a spending deal with Democrats, Hakeem Jeffries, Chuck Schumer, and Joe Biden, and then allows House Democrats to push that spending deal across the finish line. So they pass it with Democratic votes, getting past 218, then, because that is, that, that is conservatives' main gripe, that the federal government spends too much and spends it on stuff that they don't like. So to get those Democratic votes, you got to give the Democrats a little something, something. You got to give them some goodies. That will anger the Freedom Caucus. And then in, say, October, late October, early November, um, even around the holidays, yeah, you could see a motion to vacate the speakership vote on the House floor. I think that is a very big possibility because they are going to be upset 
by whatever spending, whatever omnibus, cromnibus, whatever we want to, what we end up calling this thing, it's going to anger the conservatives. And McCarthy doesn't want the government to shut down because he knows that Republicans will be punished um, at the ballot box next year. So I think he would cut a deal. He's already done it once and let Hakeem Jeffries push it across the finish line. And when he does that, anything's possible. There you go. So, Michael, for you, from strongman, wait a minute, type A strongman 13. Question, why are you so intolerant of conservatives and Donald Trump? Isn't he innocent until proven guilty? He is innocent until proven guilty. I am not intolerant of him. What I am is trying to honestly assess the legal filings that he submits and the cases that are swirling around him. So for me, it's not a matter of do I like Trump or not like Trump? Do I like conservatives or not like conservatives? Remember, in the Justice Department, my decade in the Justice Department was only in Republican administrations. I only worked for, I worked for French Smith, Ed Meese, Dick Thornburg, Bill Barr. Those are the people I worked for and I have a great deal of regard for. So my analysis is not, do I like them or don't like them, but rather, what do I make of their legal cases and the pleadings that they file in courts? And I have not been impressed with any of the legal filings from Team Trump, uh, whether you go back to the fake electors, uh, state lit lit litigation, or whether you're you know through the litigation that we just spent half an hour talking through. I just don't think it's good lawyering because they don't have tenable positions on most of those cases. So I think to the to the writer, it's a fair question, but it miss it misstates what I'm trying to do here, which is not to pass political judgment on people. I don't like or dislike any of them. It's just are they filing good legal papers and do they have good legal positions? And it's in respect of that that I offer my opinion. I, I'm going to add one thing to this because I think this, and John, you probably have experienced this as well. It's not intolerance of Donald Trump. The fact that he's, you know, it, and it isn't intolerant to report what it is that Donald Trump does. It's not intolerance that tells us that we report on the charges against him or the investigations against him. All of that is not evidence that we're intolerant of Donald Trump. That is evidence that we are reporting on what's going on about Donald Trump. The intolerance would be is it would be something like the son of a bitch. I can't stand him. I'm going to go beat the crap out of him. Or I, you know, I can't stand to have him around anymore. And I, therefore, I'm intolerant of him. That that that's a different thing. But simply stating what it is that they're reporting on and offering an opinion on that is not indication, I would say, of an intolerance towards Donald Trump. I would suspect that he has an intolerance with what he's done towards those who do not want to do as he asks. That's where I see intolerance from him. My intolerance doesn't exist. I'm merely reporting on what it is that is being done. Does that make sense? It makes sense. There's such a, a warped view of, of what the media's job is. Um, and I do think a lot about how we can get it back to where it needs to be. And but I wonder mostly if if we can. Yeah, I I I hear you. That's 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 the big question. So with that positive up note, we come to, to the conclusion of another broadcast day. And it is just asked a question. And we do want to thank you for joining us. And we do enjoy the letters, and uh, we enjoy being on our new MSW network. So thanks for joining us. Where can we find your stuff, John? Uh, rollcall.com uh, every Friday, not this Friday. We'll be back with the column uh, in, uh, in a And a great weeks. column this week, by the way. I really appreciated it. Thank you. Oh, appreciate that. Everybody can check that out. It's uh, up on rollcall.com and CQ Afternoon Briefing Newsletter. Subscribe today at CQ.com. And Michael, where can we catch you, brother? My podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. It's on all the major podcast apps. We discuss books and great ideas. Uh, by multiple authors on various topics of interest, at least to me. So there you go. 
have, have a listen. That's, and he's an interesting guy. So if he finds it interesting, you will. The name of this podcast. And by the way, he may even get through a podcast without mentioning. Without mentioning. Robert Zimmerman. <laughs> yes, Robert Zimmerman. <laughs> Look that up, Google. <laughs> we know we know Bob. So anyway, <laughs> this is Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Kerman. You can catch me at salon.com on Thursdays, uh, this podcast twice a week. And of course, and the name of the book is, just, uh, I'm sorry, it's Free the Press. And you can catch me on all social media at Brian Karam, except on threads where it is at Brian J. Karam. So once again, this is Just Ask the Question. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you guys next week.